I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Confo by Design, episode 457 of the show with a wonderful creative who crafts one-of-a-kind functional items for the most discerning clientele. This is a really fun story featuring an exquisite creative, simply divine creations, and a phenomenal story to match. <laughs> Heath Wagner of HW Studio tells his story with seven words. HW Studio is jewelry for the table. As you will hear, it it really is. Wagner is a trained goldsmith who uses traditional methods in metalsmithing to craft, create, and ideate functional artistic objects, objects meant, meant to be used. And that's where this gets fun. Imagine you could use a Picasso or an original Banksy in some way other than, than viewing. I, I'm not dismissing the one-dimensional nature of some art, and some will argue with me vehemently that art is far more than one-dimensional. I, I, won't, I won't take the bait. I'm not going to argue that. My point, really, is Heath, Heath is creating precious metal objects to be used at the table for eating as utensils and other objects to be used. Further, he uses these objects at happenings like dinner parties. And the purpose of, well, eating with something other than his hands. And that's the point. We only get so many trips around the sun. And why not make the most of every day by enjoying these objects to the fullest, thereby crafting an experience, furthering the conversation, and engaging with others in unique and authentic ways, right? With that, you will hear from Heath Wagner right after this. I consider myself so incredibly fortunate to be working with some of the amazing partners and sponsors on Convo by Design. Thermosol, the presenting sponsor of Convo by Design, I've been I've been working with this with this amazing group of people for over four years, and it's really amazing. I was recently out at the Round Rock, Texas facilities for the 65th annual celebration and had a chance to sit down with Mitch Altman, third generation president and CEO of the company. I also had a chance to sit down with Murray Altman, who's the second generation CEO and president of the company. And I am telling you. What makes Thermosol so special is the people and the technology and the manner in which they approach the business. If you're a designer and you, you aren't adding steam uh, and sauna to a luxury bathroom, can you really call it luxury? They've been the industry leader in steam bath equipment and technology since 1958. They have an in-house engineering team that constantly and consistently works to better the product. They don't, as you will hear, um, I had a chance to interview Mitch again uh, for the show. The last time he was on was episode 271. So it was definitely time for him and I to, to catch up again. And he told the story of how the company was, was founded and started. Every steam generator is hand inspected before it leaves the factory. I don't know of another company that does that. They put such pride into the product and the workmanship and the craftsmanship of the product that when you go into your steam shower, it is going to deliver 
precise, reliable results every single time. And that's what you can count on with Thermosol. And there's a lifetime warranty to back it up. So there's no risk, only reward. It's amazing. Their technological marvels like intelligent showering systems and sound therapy, aromatherapy, the, the technical interfaces and more all through Thermosol. So check them out, thermosol.com or at Thermosol uh, on the socials. Check the show notes for links to the website. Or if you have a question about the product, Email me and I will tell you what I think. Convo by design at outlook.com. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do. <laughs> it's funny because after doing this for as long as I have, I have taken for, for granted the fact that some people may not be totally thrilled about doing an interview on camera. That's, that's not like pre-prepared answers. It's so funny. For, I get this all the time. Can you send me questions? It's like, no, I don't do that. Did I send you any questions? No, you did not. Did I send you anything at all to prep for this? No, but I'm a <laughs> thorough, I'm a <laughs> thorough researcher with a master's degree. So I did my research and I've listened to several episodes. Um, so I did my homework. Okay. Well, you know, let's let's actually start there because I I love this. Tell me, tell me the story. How did you wind up the the multi hyphenate that that you are? Which I think I think nowadays we kind of all have <laughs> to be multi hyphenates, right? But tell yeah. me, tell me the story. How you wound up doing what you're doing, especially what a, a master's degree and a goldsmith yeah. and a product uh, designer. Yeah, I think. Okay, let me figure out how to best like start that because um, that's a lot to unpack. So originally. Um, I'm from North Carolina. I'm from the coast of North Carolina, the Outer Banks. Um, my dad was a fisherman and a beekeeper, and my mom was a gynecologist. And um, I'm also adopted. And so, like, I grew up in this like super loving, expressive home um, that was like very interactive with nature. Uh, my parents are kind of like quote unquote hippies. So um, a lot of me using my imagination, a lot of me. Um, when expressing interest in certain things, being directed towards art or playing outside. So a lot of making. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't like the best student in high school. Um, Flash wasn't out yet. And so, um, yeah, I kind of like found art and then I was like, oh, I'm going to go to school for painting. And so um, I like had kind of lofty dreams of like going somewhere like more um, prestigious for undergrad. And my mom was like, absolutely not. Um, so I went to East Carolina, which is actually like a really amazing art school. Um, I'm so fortunate I went there. Um, so I went there originally for painting. I found metalsmithing in my like second like semester there and just like, fell in love with it um, and submitted to the program immediately after my first class and got in. Um, Cause you have to like submit your portfolio. And so some people have like taken three classes, four classes, and they're trying to submit to get into the program. Um, and at the time the program was like one of the strongest in the country. So it was very competitive um, and it kind of like set me up for everything. So, and in that, I like I've been to Penland School of Craft because of it. I've been to Snag, which is Society of North American Goldsmiths, 
um, a conference for people who just love metalsmithing. Um, and I've also been to Italy and studied abroad through that program. Um, and then when I came back from Italy, like starting my semester, um, I had this professor, Robert Eppendorf, who's like kind of the like grandfather of metalsmithing in America. Um, and he like sat me down before class, like, and he was like, okay, what are you doing? You're graduating. And I was like, yeah. Um, and at the time, like I just broken up with like my first boyfriend. So I was a little naive and I was like, oh, I'm going to do core at Penland, which is this like residency for two years on the mountain. Um, it's kind of like a grad school. And I was like, I'm going to do that. And then maybe we'll get back together. And he was like, that's not a strong reason. So I'm going to I'm going to veto that. Um, and then I, he's like, what are your other plans? And I was like, oh, well, I'm really interested in the grad program at University of Wisconsin-Madison or at UMass Dartmouth. And Again, he said, I'm not going to write you a recommendation for those. I don't think that's a good option. And he was like, what's your third option? And I was like, some friends have invited me to move to New York and live on their couch until I like get my bearings. And he was like, that's what you're doing. And then fast forward into class that day, he like gives the speech and it's like, welcome back. And he's like, a bunch of you are going to um, stay in North Carolina and maybe move home. Maybe you'll move to Raleigh. Maybe you'll move to Charlotte if you're like a little wild maybe one of you will get the like kind of crazy idea to move to like Atlanta. Uh, but many of you won't move anywhere. And one of you will be bold and you'll move somewhere really far away. Um, and so as soon as like, as soon as they heard that, I kind of, I threw away all my work for previous semesters or like I pushed it to the side and my other professors, my thesis committee, like were just he like head in hands, like so, um scared for me because I just started making jewelry because I was like I gotta get this like on a body shot on a model and like get a job so I like made a whole new collection shot everything on models and then had my like senior show which like had models like rotating every hour on the hour um and then moved to New York the day I graduated and then uh like maybe like a month later I got a job at Pamela Love working as a bench jeweler um, and that's like kind of set me up like to be a really strong metalsmith, but also um, it gave me like my first taste of press, uh, you know, like Pam did this kind of thing called Buyer Friends where it got covered in Vogue. And so like my name, there it is, like in Vogue, bolded, I've like just graduated. So it's like this first taste. And then I did it for three years and then I was like, I don't want to be a jeweler anymore. And so I was like, I'm going to go to grad school. And so I apply, I started applying to grad schools and I found SVA's product of design and they were like, oh yeah, just apply. Like we're past registration, but like maybe you'll get in. And then I did get in and like started two weeks later and was like thrown into this world of design and digital. Like I graduated with school with no digital skills, like really strong making skills, but um, like, Grad school was this like trial by fire um, kind of experience where I like I did a lot of smoke screen work where I like made things that were really beautiful while I was like quickly trying to figure out how to use computers. Um, and yeah, I after graduating, I wanted to be an experiential designer, but my first job landed me in eyewear. 
and then I had a couple of jobs where I was like this like experiential designer, but I'd always like returned to making. And then fast forward to like 2018, eight, maybe 18. Yeah, I, or 2019, I, um, like a friend was like, oh, are you still doing events? Like, do you want to work for Tiffany and co? And I was like, oh, sure. Um, and so it was like a place, it was like a place I never thought I would ever work. And I was like, oh yeah. Like, and it's one of those places where like, I never thought I could get in through the front door. So like, here's what open window. So like, let me get in through the window. Um, and then, yeah, my role evolved from like an events designer to this like forms designer, like, and pop-up designer that like communicated or like interacted with the jewelry team because I was a jeweler. So I was speaking their language to my team and speaking my language, my team's language to that team and became this like interwoven, um, really interesting consulting role that I in a million years would have never one like found online or like would have like had if it kind of just didn't fall in my lap. And then LVMH took over and all consultants were erased. Um, and so I, I went on to work for Dion Lee, um, launching jewelry for them, and have kind of started consulting again in jewelry. But during that time, I also, at Tiffany and during the pandemic, I launched my line of flatware. Um, I had already, like, a friend who was having a baby was like, do you want my studio space? And I was like, sure. And I, I just started making, like, pieces of jewelry, a lot of things with pearls. And then when the pandemic shut everything down, I couldn't host dinners. And that was like my thing. I worked at Tiffany three days a week. And on Wednesday, I would like, just text my friends and be like, do you want to come over? I'm picking these things up for dinner and I'd have these like, like two to like six person dinners, impromptu middle of the week. And I got really like, kind of sentimental that I couldn't do that anymore. And so I started making flatware, which is something that I had made previously in my metalsmithing career in undergrad. Um, and then, yeah, I, I got this order from uh, my boyfriend's boss that she she was like, I made her some spoons for her birthday. And then she was like, oh, I love these. Can he make them in copper? And can he do 12 sets in two weeks? And so sure, and big spoon, sure. not small. Um, and they're like mirror, mirror finish. And so I was like, absolutely. And I like banged them out cut my finger open one day, like making the boxes by hand. And then I showed them to a friend who does set design and he was like, oh, you need a whole collection. And if you get that, I'll like shoot it for you and style it. And so then another like two weeks was spent making everything in my collection um, all at once so that I could like shoot it. And I think that's a skill that I learned in grad school is like fake it till you make it. So it's like make a proto of everything and then shoot it and then figure it out later. Um, and that's kind of how my line has evolved. And that's kind of, and now I teach at Parsons also. Yeah, I've like, I teach at Parsons now. I teach visual commute of all things though. The crazy thing is I teach visual communication at Parsons, which is like also in a million years, I never, I never thought I'd be teaching at Parsons. But I never thought I'd be teaching digital like skills at Parsons, which is also the wildest thing. I reconnected with that professor I told you about earlier. And I was like, the craziest thing is here I am teaching like the things I didn't have when I graduated undergrad. So 
yeah, that's a quick synopsis on my. So funny. So you were like, well, that's a lot to unpack. And then you proceeded to deliver a lot to unpack. Okay. So a couple of things. First of all, here's what's, here's what's really interesting to me. This, I love, I love the concept and the idea of the, of the multi-hyphenate. I am a multi-hyphenate. I know that to be successful in any manner of business today, in any endeavor, you kind of have to be a multi-hyphenate. You, you have to have your head on a swivel, your eyes wide open, and you have to be seeking out opportunity. You know, my, my background uh, is in broadcast radio to the point where I just, I kind of got tired of, I want to say being surrounded by assholes, but that's not totally the truth. There were a lot of really, there were a lot of really great people that, that I worked with, but the environment was completely toxic. And I had spent so long kind of like balancing between what do I really, what do I need to do and what do I want to do? And to me, it feels like you had that same journey, but you had it in such an expedited manner and everything just kind of like, I'm envisioning it as you're saying it, I'm, I'm thinking about like doors slamming shut and the window opening and you're going, okay, like head on a swivel. I got to go dive through that window. I'm going to make this happen. You seem to be in, in a hurry to make all of these things happen. And I kind of want to dive into that a little bit because, you know, the, the nature nurture conversation, I, I love having it, but it's really interesting because, you know, for you, it's so funny. You've got this fisherman beekeeper maker, who's the husband of a doctor and, and a doctor who's the wife of a fisherman beekeeper. They adopt this child and give him all the tools to go figure out who he wants to be. And I'm, so there's two parts to this. One is, is that where the confidence came from to make quick, de quicker decisions in real time that, you, you know, there's a certain amount, many will have a fear. There's an imposter syndrome that goes along with, with many creatives. Like, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not smart enough to do this. I'm not talented enough to do this. What makes me think that I can go design a product that people would want to buy? There's, there is that. There's also the fact that in order to, to be successful in any creative endeavor, there is some element of fake it till you make it. So you kind of have to balance and juggle these two ideas. And I'm, I'm curious about your process in that. And was it quick decision-making or are you the kind of person that kind of takes the time to evaluate and figure out which way you want to go? And then the other part of that is, it's funny, where was I going? Um, oh, this, this idea that you're making quick decisions leading up to a certain point and all these things are happening and it never happens without a little bit of help from your friends, right? What would you have done differently in that journey that you think might have been impactful to where you are now? Hmm. Um, well, it's been a 12 year stretch. So it sounds like it happened really fast, but it's a lot like it's, but 12 years in New York flies by. I think, I mean, I, imposter syndrome does creep in for me and it does like, 
I, I seem really confident. Sometimes I'm not. Some days I am. Some some days it just doesn't. That like that light bulb does not turn on in like all the light bulbs that like I have in my my Rolodex. Um, like, and that can be something that I have to push through. I think I'm from the South. There's a lot of proving that has to happen for you to make it in New York as a Southerner. Um, there's a lot of preconceived notions about us. Um, and I think all of my friends, I'm so lucky to have the network of friends that I do have. And like, we all like sit at the table and we all eat together. I think that's my biggest like thing in life is like when we all like sit, like we all eat, like there's enough like room at the table for everyone. And so I'm constantly talking up my friends and they're constantly talking me up and I'm really happy about that. Um, and a lot of them went to SCAD and like, they are fierce workers. They're just like hard workers. They like really churn things out. And it's, it's kind of that whole, like, I moved from like this area of comfort, this place where things are slower to this place that like, I feel like I really have to prove myself. And it's, it's kind of like slowed down the proving over the like 12 years. It's a thing that like, kind of eases as you grow in confidence um what would i have done different i don't know i don't know if i would have done anything different because everything kind of has just like it's kind of been this crazy journey um and i'm starting to like people are starting to see me so i don't i don't think i would have done anything different like especially like in my jewelry career like as a consultant in jewelry I can now build myself as someone who like knows it all. Like not to say that in an egotistical manner, but like, I, I know how to make the jewelry. I know how to like find the factory that makes the jewelry. I know how to talk to the factory that makes the jewelry in a very human centered way to get them to make your product. I know how to make the proto. Um, I know how to design the proto. I know how to 3d model it. I know how to design your forms, your packaging, your campaign, your styling, like all of these things for jewelry. And like, um, it makes me this like really sharp Swiss army knife that kind of can cut through the noise in the jewelry industry and really help you. And I think if I'd done anything different, I wouldn't be able to realize that like I am that kind of Swiss army knife now. You are listening to my conversation with metalsmith Heath Wagner. We'll be right back. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery style space with a thoughtful display of products purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. Well, I think you would have been more careful when making the box. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I shouldn't have been like texting and using an exacto blade <laughs> at the same time. So, yeah. Fair enough. Walk. Let's back up about 20 seconds. Okay. Walk me through the process because I think it's fascinating. 
um, you know, where you are now, you're still making jewelry. You're just making jewelry for the home. Mm-hmm. And jewel- I'm still make. I also make jewelry for private clients too. Still totally. Like- yeah, totally get it. Totally get it. Um, but I think that 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 bifur- bifurcated creative set, right? Jewelry. I I feel like, and you could totally tell me I'm wrong. I, it's totally cool. Um, but I feel like the idea of making jewelry for for a person and making jewelry for the home is the same concept. Mm-hmm. It, a, a home is unique. Design is unique. Designers are are the same as those who would style and fashion a person, right? You're, it's a unique design for a unique space. People are very much the same way. Some are, some are larger framed, which requires a different set. Some are, some are smaller framed, which require, requires a different look. And homes are the same way. Rooms are the same way. So I, I feel like those two things are very similar, if not the same. But take me through the process that you go, go through from uh, ideating something to creating a prototype to creating the first one and and bre- being able to bring your product to market because i i also feel like as an artist as a creative and, and you know maybe i've got that wrong too tell me are you an artist are you a, an industrial and creative designer because i think there's a difference i was i was talking to a chef once a good friend of mine someone who went to my high school and he's got this incredible restaurant, Rosa Blue, in, in LA. He's also got super fine pizza. He's, he's the real deal. And he told me once, he's like, I'm not an artist. I'm a craftsman. And I was like, I, I didn't understand the idea. I didn't understand the concept. Because like, why wouldn't you want to be an artist? And he said, because if you go to Northern Italy, and you have something that your grandmother made for you when you were a kid, when you come to Rosa Blue, I want it to taste exactly like grandma made it for you. I don't want it to be a different thing. I want it to be that, I want to recreate an experience. And I thought that's really amazing because that is design. That is jewelry. You want an experience, just a different one. So are you an artist? I think you are, but I think you're also a craftsman. So as you go through the process, back to the original question, which I've like rounded like three or four different times already, Take me through the process of creating a prototype, creating a product for market that still matches your artistic vision, because I there are some compromises that you have to make along the way, because you're getting other people to back it and to sell it and to buy it. So how does that work for you? So let's break this into parts. I think I definitely, I don't consider myself an artist. I like the term craftsman. I, uh, you know, one day want my line to be like a silver house. And I, um, I do, I, I do uh, love the like craftsmen that I interact with in the industry. Um, and I have great respect for them. So I, I would consider myself that. Um, when it comes to making a product, usually I'll make it I'll make some sketches and then I'll make it by hand once. And if it feels right and it looks right, um, I'll just run with it. Other times I'll have to remake the shape of like a spoon or a fork a couple of times to get it right. 
I think those are more complicated items. Uh, right now, my my work is like really functional. It's not like that George Jensen, um, or is it George Jensen? It's, I'm trying to think of the designer who made like very kind of unusable flatware. It's very elegant, it's very beautiful, but you have to take like really tiny bites. Um, my my work is not there like yet, but it is the it is the stuff that you kind of put out when you have like a special occasion. And I think that like is something that I always think about is like this is going to be like the three piece set that you want to buy for when you have like a nice dinner, but it's not too fussy. But it's like you could bring it out on a weeknight or you could bring it out during the during the like fancy dinner but it's not like the silver that is only coming out at Easter or only coming out at like a specific holiday and you just dread polishing it. Um, I want my stuff to be really used. When it comes to taking it to market, I usually, I just ask my friends, like, does this look right? Like, how does this feel? I'll have them over for dinner. I'll have people test out things. Um, that's a really nice thing about like knowing how to cook and having a boyfriend who cooks really well um, is I can set the table with all of my stuff and then I can persuade everyone to come over and then I can start asking for feedback while we're finishing the meal. Um, and then talking to retailers, oftentimes I ask them what their needs are. Like yesterday I had a meeting with a retailer where they looked at my stuff and they were like, well, we have a lot of Sabra, so we can't really pick up your flatware. And then I've started working in stainless steel and acetate with um, drawing in like my knowledge from the eyewear industry um, to create these like tortoise shell handles that I'm admittedly coming for Sabra. I want to tackle that market. Um, and they were like, we can't really pick this up, but we have no barware and you have cocktail picks galore, you have cocktail stirs, you have little spoons, you have demitasse spoons, like we are very interested in this. And so I lean into that part of the conversation to be like, you know, not only like, can I make these for you? I'm here, I'm local, you're out East in the Hamptons. Like if you run out of these all like at the start of the season, you don't have to wait for another season to call me up and order more of these. Like. I can just make you these and come out and deliver them. And uh, I really try to like foster relationships that are very genuine. And I would say like almost like, I don't know, is mongery a word? Like I think of like a fishmonger, like it's like you've got your fishmonger, you've got your butcher, you've got your like neighborhood jeweler, you've got your cobbler. So like, I want to foster relationships with my like flatware where I'm kind of like people that are working with me to sell my work are also like, well, he's at the, they still see me as like that neighborhood person and not as like the brand. I don't know if mongery is, was a word before you said it, but I, I think it is now because I get it. I, I think what's really interesting is you don't consider your work to be art. You consider it to be utilitarian, but because it's completely unique and different. And, and by the way, um, because this is a podcast, I say this all the time, go to the show notes and you will find a, uh, 
a link to heathwagner.com and you can you can see the product and you can see what we're talking about but again that that idea of craftsman versus artist is something that is is very interesting to me like you had mentioned your friend that was a set decorator and i love working with set decorators because you know i've interviewed many of them and i love hanging out with them but it's really interesting cuz you can't call them designers they're not designers and a true set deck will tell you i am not a designer and it's not like they're offended by it it's just it's it's a misclassification for them it's it's not what they are it's not what they do many of them that i've had this very same conversation with are will say i'm not an artist i'm a craftsman because what they're trying to do is create an experience based on what somebody else has written on a page i think that's fascinating because a designer will try to take what somebody says and how they want to live and craft a space for what they do jewelry is very is very very personal so i think i just find it really interesting how you view your work the difference between artistry and craftsmanship and wanting to foster these relationships for you it feels to me like the product that you produce is is a utilitarian tool to get to an experience and i find that really interesting when did that start for you i mean i still want to be an experiential designer i like still want to design dinners i think like i had this really great professor in grad school emily baltz and she's like she's a food designer and experience designer and um i mean i i've been hosting dinners since undergrad and i love cooking and having people over I just didn't know what that was called until grad school like experience like envision like having my show for undergrad be like this like rotation of models and like an experience that only happens once like didn't have the words for that and I think a lot of things in life we like we know how to do them as humans but we don't have the words to describe it so then we like don't think that we can do that thing until we like come across the words and so I didn't know that I could be like an experience designer or what I was doing or things that I was doing were leading up to that until grad school like when there's that class that's all about experience design and getting people to do things without explicitly telling them and like light bulb moment I was like oh my gosh this is like what I do and then now with like the progression of my career another mentor has like kind of been like oh you have to pick a path so i've kind of fashioned myself into like a t where but like a really fat t where i can be like oh yeah like i mostly do like jewelry and craft work but then like i have these other branches but then now that i've like branded myself as this like crafts person who's like making objects for the table that around an experience i still get to be that experience designer I just kind of am cheating. I feel like I'm cheating. I'm like everyone's like pick a path and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I picked a path. Yeah, it's the flatware." But be distracted because I'm actually like doing this other thing too. What's what's fun for me in this conversation is that what we're talking about so many people are thinking about. And 
oftentimes there's there's a fear, right? There's this fear to 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 make a choice because you feel like you have to make a choice. I don't mean you, I just mean in general, someone feels like they would have to make a choice in order to be superior at something, right? Or can you continue to be average at many things? I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a false narrative. I don't think that's true. I don't think it has to be one or the other. But I will tell you as somebody who, like you, is a multi-hyphenate, it is incredibly hard to be good at many things, right? Yeah, well, I recently heard this thing that's become like an earworm for me. Um, it was another jeweler and they just were like, being a jeweler is like owning a restaurant. Not every restaurant's great. Like some are really bad, but there's like some that get Michelin stars. And then there's those ones that are like beloved and they're a neighborhood spot, they sustain, they have a slow burn and people love them and cherish them and they keep coming back to them. And so I like to think of myself sometimes as a restaurant where I am, would it be nice to have a Michelin star? Yeah, but that's a lot of pressure. But like, what would be lovely is to be this spot where everybody knows, not everybody, but like the people who know it, like keep coming back and they keep cherishing it and they keep falling more in love with it and they keep supporting it. I think that for me is like really important. I also think that like being a slow burn is a really important thing as well. Like I do things really quickly, but I try to make sure that I don't do them in a sense that it is going to burn me out. Like, or um, I, I'm trying to like, apply just the right amount of momentum to everything I do so that it doesn't lead to burnout. What's the long-term projection? What's the goal? Be a silver house. I have started working with like families, which is a really interesting thing to say, but um, I want to be able to be like, oh, that family ordered um, cocktail picks, sterling silver cocktail picks from us like two holidays ago, they'd love to like redo that, like, or reorder that. Can we pull their mold? Um, so I've, I've already started working with some families that like, I have molds for some of their products on hand and it's labeled, that's their mold. Like that product's never going to go to market, but it is for them. Um, and I think that's how you like Kind of become a house you start to acquire these like these families that generationally come back to you um i think silver house sounds really lofty but i think there's a way to do it without having to be this like ginormous thing but still call myself a house does that include jewelry as well yeah i mean christoffel has jewelry so it's so, it's so wait, this is really funny because every time I ask you a question about that, that might be a challenge, you reference somebody else that does it as the justification for why you can do it. And I'm curious, do you feel like somebody else has to do it first or that you can take, because I mean, look, you've created this, this amazing body of work. And again, it, it kind of creeps back to that, that, that fake it till you make it thing, which, and I bring it up 
because, you know, especially as of late, now I gotta, I gotta tell you when, when I was, you know, when I was young not to date myself, but you know, when I was in my twenties, there was no social media. So I, I have this frame of reference that, that perhaps some younger people don't have, which is this, this judgy environment where people can just throw darts at what you do so easily and then hide behind a computer screen so they don't have to answer for the things that they say. And I think no more evident is politics and culture, right? Because those are the two those are the two areas where it's anything you say is completely subjective. You like it. You don't like it. You don't have to have a reason for liking or not liking something. It's just who you are. And because social media has become so relevant, it, it has built brands. It has canceled people. It has just led to this ultra toxic environment where people can just throw crap on anything that they want to. And it's led to really talented creatives who sort of hedge what they say and perhaps their work too, because you know, you you fear that. I I have come to the point like with with this show where when I started doing it, nobody else was doing what I was doing. And then other people came out and started doing it. And occasionally you'll hear someone go say, Well, I love what so-and-so does over what's so you know what? Your your trophies in the mail. Good for you. That's great. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. As long as what you do, meaning you, Heath, as long as what you're doing is making you happy, and it's got to make money too, because it's a business, not a hobby. But that's why I ask what you'd like to do. But I'm curious too, do you have to do what somebody else has done? Or or are you happy doing, doing you? But again, that goes back to the artist versus craftsman conversation, right? Well, I think... I do have rules around like making jewelry. So, I mean, I do the occasional like custom piece. I still try to tie it back to food. The jewelry I do offer right now is like all about food. So I have like, I have like a dining, I have like an etiquette pinky ring. Like I have fork earrings and spoon earrings and um, like an oyster half shell brooch and some other like oyster things it has to be about food so it can't like I'm not going to just like one day wake up and start being like I'm making diamond jewelry and like yeah if the diamond jewelry looks like food then it's fine it's all about in my mind and I'm not like using Christoffel to say like okay I can do it now but like when people are like you do flatware like what I was like well they do that and it's like one of the things I learned at Tiffany was that like, there's this vast heritage in the archive of all of these things that they made and all of these things that they like continue to make. And now they're making like shoe tongues and like a toothbrush to clean your shoes. And like, like it, where it never stops. And some of it's really hypey and some of it's like going to live on forever. And I think that's like ultimately like super inspiring. And I think, um like that's what excites me about that and in my oh back to in my mind so in my mind like like 
top lit dinner table, all of my stuff, everyone around it, like is wearing like either some piece of jewelry or something that like they're there to dine, like they're there to dine. So there's jewelry for the table and there's jewelry for eating and it's all part of the experience. And then like, there's no other like imagery in my mind around that table. It's just top lit and the rest of the room is like darkness and I can see everything at the table. Um, and that's kind of how I think about my work and how I make it. It's just like, okay, like what else is going on at this dinner party and this like this evolving dinner? And that's kind of how I think up everything I do. It's all goes back to that like experience of like over the course of a dinner. And and I I love that because I feel I feel too like the experiential nature of for me you know this the experiential nature of design and architecture is completely interwoven with one's desire to live a certain way and and to to feel something and and if you if you can craft a feeling you've done something amazing so i i get it like this idea of of crafting an experience and and it's funny I, I get i get a sideways look every time i mention this but it's funny because for me you know i when i was in broadcast i was the director of motorsports for cbs radio in dallas and and i i was involved with nascar heavily involved with nascar you know producing events and i've always drawn this correlation between design and nascar because it's true and, and i get the sideways look but it's like you think about it you've got you've got the drivers which are designers you've got the cars completely built out based on brands and you've got the same thing with designers putting furniture and furnishing brands in in a space and then you've got the fans who are fans of the drivers and the design you know it tantamount to the design and then you've got each individual race which is on different types of tracks one could be a dirt track and one could be a super speedway and one could be a short track one could be a road course, but at the same time, the artistry of, of driving a certain track in a certain way to win a race is very similar to the process of creating a product to be successful or crafting design or creating an experience to make people feel a certain way because that's what the races in person or on TV actually do. Mm -hmm. It's... I, I don't think we think about it in terms, and I say the general we, I don't think we, we think about it in, in terms like that, but you do. And that's what I find so fascinating about this is like crafting a, an experience where you have a product as well. I just, I, I think that there's, there's an artistry to it that, um, and I'm curious if, if it started that way for you or if the pandemic informed the way you think in any, in any way, shape or form. I think it's always been like that. I think everything we do is a performance. Like this is a performance, like you're performing, I'm performing and everything kind of evolves around that. I, I had a moment out of grad school where like I couldn't find a job. So I ended up working at this like Lux restaurant called the turtle in Soho. And I'm so happy I did. I like kind of wish I had worked in a restaurant before that. Um, but like, 
every night was like a performance and it was like lights dim music goes up but also like teaching at parsons like i tell my students like and i kind of tell this to everybody i'm like if you want to see fashion go out to eat like go to a restaurant in new york and see look around and you'll see what people are wearing like there's a there's like what's going down the runway but like what's actually like happening in our lives like what the trends are it's all like there in the like set of a dining room and then you have like so you have like fashion you have music you have dim lighting and then you have like the whole like performance of like courses coming and going and like the changing in flatware and um i think there's something like magical about that and so like my my piece is being like the tools in the performance that you're going to use to like be the main character in on, at your table is like a really fulfilling a thought i guess do you envision teaching in the same way that you envision design of of product like you've you come in day 1 and you've got these bright-eyed, bushy-tailed students who are at Parsons, the new school of design, and they're, they've told all their friends where they are, their family is always bragging about where they are and what they do. Do you, do you have a process for them? Like you wanna, you wanna, you wanna grind some of, the, some of the burnishings off, you wanna, you wanna polish them up, get them a little shinier, you wanna, what do you try? What is your goal to, provide as far as the experience goes from day one till the day they leave your class and move on to the next part of their curriculum? Um, so they're all like fashion students. And I think the thing that I'm trying to provide for them is compounded skills, um, particularly teaching them a lot about Illustrator and giving them these like really sharp skills to like succeed in the industry if they're going to go that route or have like a Rolodex of things that they can do. So day one, I start them on like a brand identity project, which like is coming out of left field in fashion school at like sophomore level. Um, and it's like, you got to create a logo and like a whole environment for the logo to live in. And then the next thing is like, we're doing like flats and technical design and tech packs, but then designing a billboard and like an ad campaign and like what does that look like where am i seeing your product and then finally like display forms or packaging and i think these are skills that like one open their minds to all the possibilities of like where a career in fashion could take you or design like because you might get to the end of your fashion career and be like i don't want to be a designer and then you're like okay, what do I do? And then maybe they'll think back and be like, oh, I designed branding and packaging. Like, let me go work for an agency. Or they're like, oh my God, I'm going to start my line. And they're not going to be like, oh my gosh, my tags and my packaging and my like brand campaigns are an afterthought. They're going to be like, oh, I'm ready to do that. Like, let me like wheat paste my new collection in Soho and like make some packaging and make a brand identity. Um, I want them to be like really sharp, like really like Swiss army ish. Like I want them, I keep going back to like the Swiss army knife, but like 
it was my favorite. It was one of my favorite toys as a kid. Like, I mean, that sounds, I don't know if that sounds like. It sounds a little weird, but I get where you're going with it. <laughs> no, it was like a, I remember having one as like a really early age and like, I would do all these things with it. And yeah. like, I thought it was like a cool thing. Like I would whittle things. And then like, I think of myself as a designer that has like a bunch of skills that I can pull out, but yeah, I want them to kind of feel really comfortable navigating the potential of other, other avenues of fashion. Do you, do you try to share that type of experience with those who buy your product, you know, using your flatware, for example, is going to be a different experience than using someone else's. You know, if someone has Tiffany flatware, it's going to be a different experience than using yours. But but with that experience comes a comes comes a life knowledge because it it can be the same kind of feel. Like it's funny because when you say the the whole Swiss Army knife thing. So like I had one too. I think the reason I laugh is because I wouldn't necessarily define it as a toy, but I, I mean, get it. Not a Whatever. toy, but it was no, like no, no, a no. thing that I yeah, had. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. I totally get it. Because I had one too. And, you know, this 10-year-old with a Swiss army knife where you're pulling out the tweezers and then you got the, the plastic toothpick and then you've got the, the, the scissors and you got the nail file and you got the screwdrivers. And what you can do with that, with the proper amount of imagination or, or even, or even, sends imagination with a need for something like that. And that's kind of what you've crafted too, is you've crafted, crafted something that is utilitarian, but also ex extremely artsy and artful. So is that the same experience that, that you try, you know, are, are you the Swiss army knife? And with your students, you know, you're delivering one type of experience. And, and as someone who's, who's creating and crafting and, and building this utilitarian tool, you know, are you crafting another experience? Is that the goal? I, I think, I think so. I mean, I definitely want people to like, I'm, I'm not doing the five piece, like cutlery set. I'm doing a three piece cutlery set because I think that's like how I like to dine. That's how a lot of people I know like to dine. And then you can mix and match like the other things i i also like tell people like these are the ways i use my cutlery but or my like aperitivo set or my demitasse spoons like or my cocktail picks but you can use them for other things like i think some people look at my cocktail picks and they're just like oh that's like that goes in a martini but other people are like okay i'm gonna skewer some like olives, I'm going to make a Hilda with this, which is like a Spanish pincho that has like peppers and um, anchovies and olives. Or they're like, I'm going to wear this. Like I also, I was recently in Paris during Maison Objet and I'd made these cocktail picks that have like pearls at the end, um, like a prong set pearl. And I just like stuck like three of them in my sweater before I went out one night. And people kept, being like, oh my gosh, those are so beautiful. What are they? And I was just like, they're cocktail picks, but like they are sterling silver and pearls. So like they can also form, they can also react as jewelry. I think seeing the possibility for other things with my flatware um, instead of just like 
traditionally setting the table is also important. Um, I mean, I mentioned that I'm adopted, so I'm half Greek, I'm half Spanish. Um, I know my biological family and I know like, like I'm going to Greek Easter next weekend. Um, and so like, I know like some of the ways that we dine in those cultures. And I also try to weave some of that into my flatware. So it's not just this like, I guess, traditional American approach. It's like more of a like multicultural international approach to dining. I, I, I you love that. that. Your question on this with Army. You know, you know what? You know what's funny? Not only did that answer that question, but it also answered the next question. So I, I love that, and I think that that's, <laughs> I think that that's awesome. This was so much fun, and if if those listening can can glean anything from this, it's that if if you're not familiar with Heath's work, you you should be, and. Uh, there is a link again in the show notes, so you can go check it out. It is unique. It is fanciful. And I think it's fantastic. And um, Heath, I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you. I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you setting this up and having me today. Absolutely. It only, it only took us, what, like three months to get this <laughs> scheduled? Yeah, three months. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, this is great. <laughs> We are living at a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful incredibly durable and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Heath. Loved our chat. See, isn't life more interesting when one can take a fresh look at an old object? Think about it and create a whole new way to view it, use it, enjoy it. Absolutely. Thank you to my partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware for your partnership and support. And thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to the show. I hope this allows you to think about things differently and in new ways. Please keep those emails coming, convobydesign at outlook.com with show suggestions, guest ideas, or just to say hi. I, I do love hearing from you. Thanks again. And until next week, be well and take today first. Mm-hmm.